Hi, everyone. I'm Sheikh Shuvo, and welcome to Humans and AI, where we learn about the people who are creating the technology that's changing our world. Today, I'm really excited to share with you Becky Sultanian. She's the VP of R&D at Sanborn, a global leader in geospatial and mapping solutions. She has an incredible career covering lots of different parts of the AI world. And today we'll learn about her and what she's been up to. Becky, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Sheikh. How are you? And thanks for having me here. Appreciate it. The very first question I have for you, Becky, is uh, if you had to describe your job to a five-year-old, how would you communicate it? That's a really good question. And I think about that a lot because many people say, ask me, and I have to simplify my, my, you know, what exactly I'm doing. Mm-hmm. If I want to explain it simple is my job is to help, you know, my, my real, in real life, I'm not working with robots, but I can explain it to someone with a little background in AI that I'm helping robots to see the world as close as possible, you know, the way that human sees. We're not as close, but we are doing our best to to be that, to get that. And also, this is, for example, with the camera, I can show um, a couple of tricks that how things are working in AI, for example, how a deep neural network works. I mean, show them the graph and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little difficult. It's difficult to explain AI in a simple way. Yeah. Well, to be more specific, can you share some of the things that you're working on at Sandborg? Yes. So, I mean, it's a very historical company, actually. It started, I think, in sometime late in 1800 something, and it created, you know, maps for insurance companies. And all these maps were, you know, created manually, everything. And some people, you know, they collected data and then they draw everything. And then it gradually, gradually, beginning of, you know, I think it was 2000 something. The company was acquired by the recent, uh, the current CEO and they drifted toward mostly collecting aerial data. And still everything in, in, in the company was majority of the things, not everything was, you know, done by human and manually. So when I joined the company, my goal was to help automate majority of those works as much as possible and help them with the, you know, automating different stuff. And, you know, one of the tools for automation nowadays is AI. And because we're working with imageries, it really helps. And and that's the main thing that I'm working on. The company itself collecting data, aerial data, and it's imagery has, for example, LIDARs, depending on the customers. And you can, you know, ask for custom event data sets. We can provide that for, for your customers that if they, they request it. With some, sometimes they want feature extracted. Sometimes they want some objects detected. Sometimes they want segmentation and everything. So these are mostly the projects I'm working on, sort of related to this type of projects in AI. Nice. Now, winding the, the clock uh, backward, I, I saw in your profile that you started your career in academia as as a researcher. When you made the, the shift from academic research to industry, what are some of the things that uh, that changed for you and how you approach and tackle problems? Academy, it's mostly about research. Not always, but most of the time finding new ways. And those ways may not have, for example, immediate application for an industry. 
sometimes even people work on some stuff that's, you know, sounds like sci-fi. It may, for example, take a couple of years till it hits the industry to use them. For example, AR, I mean, one of the basics of AI is neural networks. And neural networks came to the academy. I mean, people started working on that, I think, late 19, 1990-something, mm-hmm. or, or maybe a little bit before that. And because of the industry wasn't ready, and this readiness depends on the hardware. I mean, there wasn't, for example, those supercomputers that we can use it for neural networks or deep neural networks. So it remained as a research. But it took a couple of years, I mean, decades even, till deep neural networks based on that neural network, conventional neural networks started, you know, become a hot topic in, invest- in academy and industry at the same time because the advancements that was made in, in yeah. hardware industry. So when I came to the industry, it, was, it wasn't like that anymore. A majority of the projects were, you know, a demand from the industry. I, I joined, I mean, as of my first job was when I joined, it's a LiDAR company. And the work that I've done for them was anal- analyzing the point cloud and try to get some of that, you know, some analysis for, for, for example, for the engineers to help them for testing those devices. And, you know, it wasn't like just sitting and reading a bunch of, publications and then come up with something new and write another publication with code. This was the main difference. It was really, it was a challenge. And at the same time, it was very interesting, you know, to see that what you're working on and there's immediate demand for that. People wants it. The company invests in that. It's not just, for example, research. And that was the biggest difference that I faced. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, tell us more more about the about the team that you work with at Sanborn as VP of R&D, what are the different types of roles and people that are on your team? We have, I mean, majority of, I mean, the work that we are doing is coming, I mean, the internal, we have internal customers. Most of the time, mm-hmm. for example, other departments like imagery departments or LiDAR department, they reach out and they want us to work on some stuff. Majority of the people, I mean, everybody is pretty much hands-on coding and, and also at the same time have a background in research that helps to you know, come up with innovative solutions because sometimes there is no solution. There is something close, but not exactly the solution for the problem that we face. We have to go understand that close approach or algorithm and then come modify it for our own purposes. So mm-hmm. that's why I call our team sort of not pure R&D. That's, you know, work and publish. Yeah. We are applied R&D. That means that we read applications. We think about the application that we have right now in hands, and then we change the algorithm and fine-tune it based on our needs. And there is always, approximately always, there is someone that wants that algorithm as a software tool for them to use it. So that's why they are applied our most <laughs> Absolutely. Now, with so many uh, internal customers, do you think there are any misconceptions about what you do or something about your work that you wish the rest of your team knew? To get the question correctly, I think the answer is no, because pretty much everything is clear. And I try to explain and, and be as clear as possible with, with my team. So anything that comes, I will share it with them, you know, mostly related to the projects. If something is confidential, then that's another story. But most of the time we are very open about 
problems, solutions, what we are going next. I mean, what we are going to do next, the next steps. That's, I mean, my policy is be open with the employees. Good communication usually solves most challenges. It sounds like you're already on top of it. (laughs) Now, you mentioned that, that, that your team also tries to stay on top of research and the latest models and things like that. At a time in the industry when things are happening so fast, where do you and your team go to learn about the latest and greatest there? Are there particular industry resources, conferences, things like that that you can recommend? Majority of, I mean, I, I can say that, that there are a couple of tools that we are every day using them daily, actually. For publications, even sometimes they are, you know, just pre-pop. I recommend Archive. The majority mm-hmm. of the publication you can find, and it's a you know free to use platform. There are some conferences, there are famous conferences that we follow them, but not always you know helping us because sometimes academies is ahead of us and it takes some time to get to the point to use their algorithm or their approaches. Then another thing that recently, I mean, we are I mean using daily instead of Wikipedia, is that uh, the chat GPT by OpenAI. And mm-hmm. I, I promise I, I, I'm not getting any, you know, anything <laughs> for advertising them. It's just an <laughs> honest opinion and feedback that we're, we we use it a lot, despite of that sometimes it provides, uh, you know, false information, mm-hmm. but we use it very often for many things. What are some ways that you use it that might not be obvious to a more casual user. You mean tools or specifically? Yeah, oh, oh, just uh, using chat GPT for your own research pur- purposes. Are there particular types of prompts that you get a lot of value from? Particular types of summaries, things like that? Well, one of the things is that, for example, my main domain is computer vision. Mm-hmm. And in computer vision, there are a couple of libraries in Python. The most famous one is OpenCV. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for data analysis, for example, people using pandas. And then we have, for example, this, if I remember, if I pronounce it correctly, Skylearn or something like that, Sky Image from that, this package also. And then there are some packages in Python that dedicated just for, you know, for GIS or aerial, like Rasterio. And, you know, sometimes it's using all of these. I, I'm fluent in open, open CV, mm-hmm. but sometimes I'm rusty about using one of the, let's say, functionality from Rasterio, then I, I just go to ChatGPT and ask for, for a piece of code. It, it's most of the time it works, but sometimes it needs fine tuning to get the results because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a AI model. It's not a human books or a documentation that provides accurate results. So these are Really helpful things. I mean, it helps a lot even advance the code instead of thinking and scratching my head or something, going to chat GPT and ask for a small function and it can't do that. And then I can use it on continue. Interesting. That becomes really faster. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, shifting gears back to you, your team, either in your current role or earlier in your career, outside of technical prowess, what are some of the softer skills that you look for on your team as you're trying to make a hire there? Are there any particular questions you like to ask? Any particular exercises you like to take candidates through? I have a policy which is a little bit different from other probably managers or something which is a normal custom in different companies. I believe that someone who, you know, study and, and get a degree and, and enter their, you know, industry, they can, I mean, I believe in, in people capable of learning. 
Mm-hmm. And if I mostly, instead of looking at someone memorizing things that in so many companies, for example, they are looking at something like that book in a candidate, that memorizing all the functionality of one library can write everything from the heart. Mostly I'm looking at whether this person can go search, use, you know, utilize different tools and provide something for me and a basic of a code or an analysis of a part of the data. And this is really helpful because people, because I believe that people can learn coding and coding is mostly practicing. Without practice, I don't, for example, expect a, a new grad to know everything about coding or programming, but gradually they will learn. But how to do the research, how to, you know, come up with an innovative algorithm or change something in order that we can use it fine-tuning algorithm. This is something that I really appreciate in, in, in a candidate and I really look at something like that instead of how fast a person can write a code. Absolutely. Uh, that That's great advice there. The, the very last question I have for you, Becky, is um, putting your venture capitalist hat on. There seems like there are a thousand new AI companies every single day building all sorts of different tools. From your knowledge of the different tools and problems out there. Is there some uh, uh, AI problem that you have that you haven't seen a solution for that you'd love to buy a tool to accomplish that? Of course. I mean, I have a list of, I have a wish list that I I want computer just, you know, I mean, this is a joke, by the way. (laughs) I want to monitor that when I stare at it, it solves the problem, which is in my head. But this is not happening yet. It's the sci-fi yes. may not happen. <laughs> but maybe yeah. in the future we'll see something like that. Yeah, I, I think nowadays AI just, you know, take over majority of the areas. But some of the areas that I see that there's not, I mean, they ha- it, 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 hasn't been, it hasn't been touched that much is, for example, real estate mm-hmm. or architecture. Is architects. Majority of the things are still, I, I believe that those tools are not some automated tools. They're still human involved a lot. Many other, for example, industries like small industries, small manufacturers, they're not, you know, using AI that much or even not at all because, you know, they're small businesses, but gradually they have to start mm. thinking about that and accommodating AI in, in their daily routines. These are, I think, the areas that some rare areas that haven't, I mean, AI didn't reach yet, but it will in the future. So I think that's that's something that I can advise people that they can explore and work on it. Sounds like fun opportunities to tackle there. Well, Becky, yeah. that's all I have. Uh, thank you again so much for your time. And anyone has any questions for you, what would be the best way to find you online? I don't find my LinkedIn. It's Becky Sultanian. They can search with this and then they can send me a message, write me comments on, on, under my post and they can follow me. So. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you again for making time. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that with an on-demand talent and management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero.